Hey, how you doing? Welcome back. My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Meinemann. And today we are talking about soul care and uh, what exactly we mean by that, what is going on there. And really, Scott, this is your world because what we usually call biblical counseling, you prefer to talk about in terms of soul care. Yeah. You know, I love I love the term biblical counseling. Um I, I, I've said, you know, if I'm going to I don't have any tattoos, but if I was going to get a tattoo, it'd probably be <laughs> biblical counseling. But, but I have a love-hate relationship with, with the term, um, because I think when a lot of people hear the term biblical counseling, they get this idea that, well, that's, that's somebody else. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not for me. That's for a professional. That's for, you know, that's a formal in the office sitting across the table from someone. And, and what we're really talking about is whether we use the term soul care or intensive discipleship, it's it, it's simply personal ministry of the word. Right. So we were talking about earlier, you know, what what you do on Sunday morning is public ministry of the word. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we have our quiet time in the morning, that is private ministry of the word. Personal ministry of the word is where we're one anothering, you know, dealing with the questions, the problems, the troubles of life, and somebody comes and says, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm struggling in my marriage, or I'm 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 having trouble with, yeah, with one of my kids, or I'm you know I'm, I'm anxious about this." In that moment, at that crossroads, we are all doing intensive discipleship. We're all doing soul care. We're all doing counseling. And what we say in the next moment is either going to be good, it's going to be biblically informed, or it's mm. not. So the question isn't. Who's a biblical? We're all, yeah, responsible to do this. Yeah. And so, am I? The real question is: Am I competent or not? Mm. Right? It, is my the counsel that I'm going to give in that moment? Is it consistent with with Scripture? Right. So, if I were to try to grapple with this, can you apply the truth of Scripture to the situation that is in front of you? Whether that's in your own life, or in the uh, somebody sitting across the table, it could be with your spouse, could be with your child, could be with a coworker. It that is, for lack of a better term, biblical counseling, right? Yeah. Like you are bringing the truth of Scripture to bear on whatever issue is is showing up. Yep, yeah, that's 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 exactly it. And and, and mm. so it's not uh, it's not for someone else. We're all. Uh, it's part of the one anothering. I mean, if you know, I go to Ephesians four. Um, as kind of my my text with whose responsibility is it to do the work of ministry? It's absolutely right. It's it's all of ours. And so when we go to Matthew twenty eight and the the Great Commission uh, to make disciples, our Lord only gave us one thing to do when He left. He gave us one mission. And the real question then for you for me is who am I discipling? And because when we talk about this term biblical count, it's really intensive discipleship. I we I like to relate it to what we call the discipleship river. So we, we're as Christians, we're all in this. Let's say we're in this uh, river together. Um, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, you know the current is taking you down the river, mm. and then there's these whirlpools. They're called eddies, and once in a while, you can get stuck in that. It's a little scary, and you get stuck, and you're thinking, "How did I get in here?" And more importantly. How do I get out? Well, it's the same idea, you know, in the Christian life. From time to time, we get stuck, and we have questions, we have problems, we have trouble. And what we're talking about here is how do we help one another using the Bible? 
How do we help one another to get unstuck? Uh, how do we help one another to understand how we got stuck and then give us tools to get out? And it, it, that's why we refer to it as intensive discipleship. Mm. And when we talk about it as discipleship, well, that's the responsibility of all of ours. Yeah. I, so one of the interesting things when I think about this, and I think some of what you're trying to kick back against, like we think about it in this very, very formal setting, right? Oh, biblical counseling, there's a counseling room, and there's a like, you know, normally a intensive situation, whether somebody's going through a divorce or somebody's trying to work through some mental health problems. And far more frequently, what, we're th- what we should be thinking of is like, how do you train your children in the word, <laughs> right? Like that—that yeah. that is a offshoot a, of discipleship that everyone is called to. How do you train up any younger believer that you are helping? If you are growing in your faith, then you're discipling somebody, or you should be discipling people at some level. And the question is, I mean, to, to your point earlier, are you going to be effective in that or not? And that just comes down to, how, how effective are you at ministering the Word? That's right. Because your opinion and... As good my, as it may be. <laughs> and my opinion, as maybe bad as it could be, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. Right? It, it's, it's what really matters is what does God think about this? How does mm-hmm. God's Word instruct and inform this? And so, you know, at the, at the, cor- the cornerstone of this term, biblical counseling or soul care, or I think better even intensive discipleship, is is really rooted in the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture. Yeah, okay, talk right. to me about that. Yeah, so 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, um, all Scripture is inspired of God, it's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, so that the person of God, the man of God, the woman of God, might be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped. equipped. Yeah. Um, you know, First Peter, the idea that He's given us everything we need in here for life. I mean, life and godliness. I mean, so the idea there is how to live in a way, to live in a broken world with broken relationships, uh, difficult circumstances, how to live in a way that pleases God. More importantly, or more precisely, how to live in a way that's consistent with how we were created. Um, I could say it a different way, how to live in a way that is Christ-like, because ultimately that's, well, that's God's goal for all of us as Christians is Christ-likeness. So I would argue that even as we talk about this idea of intensive discipleship, the ultimate goal is, is, is Christ. Christ yeah. is, is Christ-likeness. Christ is, is really the hope of and focus of, you know, of this whole discipline, if you will. So we've not been left to our own devices to grow in Christ-likeness. We've been equipped specifically with two primary things, the indwelling spirit and the written word of God. Yeah, and the people of God. Sure. Because the context for change... Yeah, it's probably had a third. The, the church... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because, you know, and that's, that's a big part. If, we, if you look at the history of, you know, you go back in the church, if you go back during the... Uh, the Reformation age, or if you look at even, um, you know, with the Puritans, the idea of sending a Christian to a non-Christian to get help with issues of the soul was unheard of. Hmm. And as 
you know, as we got into the industrial age and education began to change and all of a sudden this idea that uh, we begin to outsource yeah. the care of the soul to the world. Professionals. To, to pro- right. Yeah. And and again, if you go back, that, that was unheard of. And so the whole, again, I, I, I use this term biblical counseling, but this whole movement, if you will, this reformation is really an effort to bring the care of the soul back into the church. The church is God's design for community. And in the same you mentioned the word, in the same way that the Bible it provides the content for change, mm. the church provides the context for change. Mm. Change, in other words, you know, growing in, into the likeness of Christ, that God's design is the local church, is, is community. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's 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 significant. So God, to to kind of summarize what you said, God's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us His people. He's given us everything we need yeah. for life and godliness. Okay. So central tenet there, a, a core conviction that the uh, inerrancy, authority, sufficiency of Scripture is where we should primarily, almost, I mean, maybe even exclusively. I mean, that might be too strong. But when we go to think about the issues that show up in someone's life, whether it's behavioral, whether it's motivation, whether it's uh, fill in the blank with anything you might want. The first thing our instinct should be to run to the scriptures mm. because they're, they are God's voice speaking to our lives. So are there any other central tenets, if you will, of biblical counseling that you think are important to, to lay out? Like the, Sufficiency, inerrancy, authority of Scripture, pretty high up on that list. Anything else that really needs to be teased out? Well, I think there's, a, yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's a number of things that need to be teased out, but I, but I think everything is birthed out of. That is, I mean, because that's our epistemology, right? Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. our basis for truth. So let's let's hold that in contrast a little bit to, we'll just say the the, the secular world. We both. Um, if we hold these two systems, if you will, in contrast to each other, we, we're starting with our, our source of truth is, is the Scripture, whereas what a, a secular psychiatrist or psychologist would be, their source of truth is going to be something other than Scripture. So it's going to be—it might be in part experience, it may be in part um, the DSM, it may be in part some of the, you know— uh, you know, it might be Skinner or sure. Freud or, you know, Kaminick. But but again, we're starting with two different sources, sources of, of truth. Yeah, yeah. That's huge, mm. right? That's significant. So, in fact, when we, when we teach this, we talk about in one of our sessions just what are the differences between secular mm. counseling and biblical counseling and or discipleship, you know, intensive discipleship. And we start with that source of truth, but then we, you know, the second thing on the list is view of God, because from a secular standpoint, there's God's not even part of the equation, and we we have to start with a high view of God. We don't start, we start, we don't start with man and man's problems and questions and troubles. We have to start with God, mm. and 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 that's a game changer. But um, we have different, you know, when you contrast them, we're going to look at, we're going to have different. Ideas of the problem, 
Right. And if you have different, right. I, if you, and I say ideas, that's, I, I, that's, I can be more precise than that. From a biblical standpoint, we believe we have truth as far as what God says. God's the chief engineer. He's the one who designed us. Here's what he says is at the root of our problems. From a secular standpoint, a secular person is going to, you know, they're looking at, they've got different ideas of what the problem is. And so if you, so if you get the diagnosis wrong, well, then what, what do you think from a solution standpoint, yeah, right? Absolutely. You're good. And so, you know, that's, um, th- th- those, those are, there's some significant changes or change, there's some significant differences there. And mm-hmm. so, and, and again, I think from a secular standpoint, I think the secular world um, does some things really, really well. And so, you know, I don't... Like what? I think they observe behavior and document behavior mm. really well. I mean, if you think of the millions and millions of hours of observation that's yeah. been done and documented, and now the framework we, we, we would disagree with, but there's some really good and helpful information that the secular world has done as, as far as observing behavior, documenting behavior. Noticing trends, things yeah, of that nature. Yeah, yeah. And so oh, yeah. I think, but what's interesting is that what the secular world has been trying to do for hundreds of years, 150 years, a little bit longer, is trying to understand what is, what is at the root of the behavior? What is, mm. we'll use the word causative. What is causative in this person's behavior? So if you look at the DS, so right now the Bible for diagnosing mental health issues, and this isn't intended to be a mental health discussion, I get it, but but just for example, when you look at the Bible for mental health, it's called the DSM and the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illness. And it's on the fifth revision. Uh, they just did a revision on the fifth revision called TR, text revision. And if you look at 99% of the diagnosis, what they all have in common is they were observing behavior, Yeah. right? And, and so they do a great job observing behavior, but what they don't, what they're really struggling with, this is part of why the mental health system is broken— is because they don't know what's at the root of behavior. And there's all of these theories over the last 150 years that have come and gone about, okay, here's what we believe is the, th- is, is the cause of behavior. Yep. Oh, well, we didn't get that. Oh, here's what we think is the cause. Co- oh, that isn't right. And in fact, there was a, a woman recently in the last three years wrote a really good book. She's not a Christian, Harvard professor, uh, Ann Harrington. I've mentioned this book a number of times and, and uh, in other in other um, contexts, but but she's done this historical search on. In fact, her her book is called Mind Fixers, and the subtitle is Psychiatry's. It says it all. Psychiatry's troubled search for the biology of mental illness, mm-hmm. and she does this historical view of all of these theories of causation that have come and went. Looking for like a, a problem gene or That's right. some kind of uh, common ground or common... biological causation. Yeah, yeah, and and. And she's saying, you know, we thought it was this, and we got it wrong. We thought it was this, we got it. And it, it, it's interesting, because I said all that to s- set it up for this, is that we come back to the Bible, and the Bible is the best book on psychology ever written, because the, the Bible addresses behavior, but more importantly, the Bible the addresses yeah. what is the cause Absolutely. of the behavior. And so... And this is why, you know, there are folks that have been 
that were exposed to biblical counseling perhaps in, in the early days or maybe re- even recently. And, and they, biblical counseling, biblical soul care has gotten a bad name because in some ways because we, you know, we're not, we don't do, haven't always done a very good job of engaging the secular world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, and, and, and thought and at a, even at an academic level and, we just say, well, that's, you know, that's wrong, and that's it. But again, I think there's some things they do well. But what is remarkable is that we have, it's more than a theory of cause, we have truth yeah. behind what causes behavior. Now, if we can, if we have, if we understand that, now we can, we can, there's real hope for change. This isn't something I'm going to live with the rest of my life. I can, yeah. I can actually experience a change, real lasting change, not just symptomatic change. Because I think the secular world does a really good job. You know, we mentioned one, observing behavior. Two, I think they do a pretty good job of managing symptoms. Hmm. But, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with symptoms. Yeah, it depends managing. on the symptoms, but sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, we give credit where credit's due. And by the way, I treat, I like symptoms. I mean, I take aspirin when I get a headache Yeah, because I'm I, if I get a cold, I take cold medicine, right? Because I want to treat the symptoms. But what I'm saying is that we can do so much more than treat symptoms. Yeah. We can get to the root of the problem and we can begin to provide cure sure. to what, yeah. what's behind the behavior. So if you just add that little qualifier to like all of this, what would broadly be under anthropological questions. If you just add theological anthropology, you now have, right, there's a sin problem that causes all of the rest of the the issues of man are at their root from a separation with God that is caused by sin. And if we start with that premise, you go, okay. And and I I really appreciated when you uh, spoke on mental health, oh man, that's probably two years ago, year and a half ago, something to that effect on a Sunday morning, you were very careful with your language on it that that becoming more like Christ, right, is going to move you toward mental health. It doesn't mean you're going to be cured. It doesn't mean you're gonna, everything's going to be fixed. That, that encountering and embattling your sin issues will move you toward mental health. And I, I thought that was well, it was precise. Yeah. And I appreciated that, and, and it's important that we get. I mean, because this is. Did I get that right? Is, is that yeah, about no, you, know, the you did, and 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 you know, because here's the here's here's at the at the heart of that. What is normal, right? I mean, because that's part well, of what the secular world is trying to understand. Yeah, is, this is the classic problem of science: is to ought, right? Science does a great job of describing what is, Obser- as you mentioned, observing and seeing what exists. It always struggles to move to what should be. From is to ought is yeah. always science's problem. How do I get to from what is to what ought to be? And there's a giant missing step that, mm. I mean, philosophy tries and does it its own kind of shoddy job at. But as Christians, we go, I have an ought. I know exactly what should be. Yeah. I can't just, it's not just enough to describe what is and manage. I need to move towards what ought to be. Yeah. We need to, I want to, I want to kind of footnote or not okay. footnote, but write that down. The, the science, I want to come back to the science piece in a minute, but you were, you, you were talking about, you know, just Jesus and, and when we talk about normal, you see the secular world has been, that's, that's part of the problem is they're trying to understand what's normal. So when you look at 
the, the DSM, everything that's in there is basically abnormal behavior. And, but, mm. and, and what's fascinating... Based on... Well, and here we go. So what's interesting is that who gets to define what normal is? Absolutely. And what's frightening to some degree is that in, the, in that same manual, if you... It's page 14, at least in the older DSM-5, is it talks about that this idea of what normal is. And basically, and I'm paraphrasing this just for the sake of time, but it says that culture, society, and the family determine what's normative. And that should be scary because we, we've lived, both of us have lived long enough to know that the winds of culture and yeah. society and the family constantly are changing. Absolutely. And so that's why the, the picture of normal constantly changes. And that's why the, the DSM is constantly changing. And you see, as Christians, and this is where I want Christians, we are given a picture of normal. We don't, there's been, by the way, in the, in the secular world, a number of books that have been written on just dealing with this question of what is normal and, and talking about how the DSM just, it's constantly changing and, and we've got to figure out what normal is. And I, and we sit back as Christians going over here, hey, we have the picture of normal that never changes. The that, ideal that we should be aiming that's at. That's right. Jesus is is the picture of, in, in, in his humanness, he's the picture of normal. He is the only one who has lived consistent with how he was designed in a broken world with broken relationships and difficult circumstances. And so the more, I could say it this way, the more that we become like Christ, if Christ you know, is fixed— Right, never changes. The more that we become like him, the more normal we become. And and the more that we move away from Christ, the more that we don't think and emote and behave like him, the more abnormal we become. So so Christ really is he's and, and again, scripture says that God's using everything in order in our lives in order to conform us to the image of Christ. Yeah. So anyway, that was but that that's going back to what, why, from a standpoint of counseling and soul care, Christ is our hope, not just in salvation, but in our sanctification. Mm. I, I'm trying to find it right now. I'm, I, I listened to a podcast not too long ago, and uh, it was a debate between two people as to whether or not we should describe a certain condition as a mental health problem. And it was, it was basically this, like, why, who gets to tell me that my fill-in-the-blank mm disorder is actually a disorder. Yeah. Why is that labeled in such a way? Why do I have to be medicated? Really fascinating because because the, the there's two non-Christians it had nothing to do with it. But but it essentially like it got to the root of the issue right away like how are we defining these things? Yeah. By by what standard do we deviate or do you is there a standard? Yeah. And as soon as you I mean that's in a lot of ways what the western world is struggling with, we've pulled out that foundation of a Judeo-Christian view of God and then gone, okay, there are no standards left. Everything is just, right, there's no starting point. There's no standard anything, anything. Mm. <laughs> We're left with this, how do I define a mental yeah. disorder? Well, it's just behavioral. Well, based on who? Based yeah. on what? And I mean, to the to the point, uh, you now have a existential crisis. Yeah. We, don't, we have no idea yep. and as a culture. Just broadly. That's right. And, and you know, you'd mentioned science earlier. When we look at 
again, in the secular world, they do some things good, but one of the things that they're just at a significant disadvantage on their best day is, you know, you mentioned the idea of science. And you see, science, in order to be science, in order to be really embraced scientifically, is it whatever it is that's being observed or studied, it has to be observable. It has to be measurable. And, And if it's not observable and measurable, then science by its very nature has to reject it. So that brings us to, so how do you deal with the inner man? Yeah. Because the inner man, there's this, there's this significant connection between our inner man and outer man. They're inseparable. They're intertwined, right? And what happens to one affects the other. And so what they do really well is observing behavior, but they can't, they don't know what to do with the inner man because they can't, well, observe it and measure it. And, yeah. and so, and we're sitting over here going, what? We have, we have the scriptures that that gives us all kinds of information on the, it. Recognizes the inner man. It 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 tells us that it's the inner man that drives the outer man. Mm. You know, so all of the behavioral stuff is is rooted in yeah, the heart, yeah, right? Sure. So so we we have a we have a significant advantage being able to help people get beyond symptom control and get underneath to what's driving the behavior, whether it's, yeah. whether it's problems in my marriage, my behavior, my anger, my, my response, my parenting, my anxiety. I mean, yeah. the scriptures give us the answer. Right. So there's, there's, real, there's real hope. Okay. So we talked a little bit about some definitional things and some core tenets, and then a little bit of distinction and difference between a, an approach in biblical counseling versus typically how a secular view will try and grapple with that. If somebody, and and I appreciate the, like the kind of where the conversation started, that this is an offshoot of the ministry of the word. Everybody should have some sort of ability at a very informal level to bring the Bible to these things. But if someone were to walk in into a formal biblical counseling setting, what does that look like? So, Because I'm guessing there's a lot of people that still don't know a ton that of what that ministry looks like here yeah, at our church yeah. or what what should I expect if I were to walk into a biblical counseling a, a set appointment not a sitting across the dining room table type of thing. oh got it yeah so um, I think there's there's uh, there's a couple of things um, you know there's some things that you can expect from your counselor um, and again at a real practical level you're gonna you're gonna meet with a person, you know, for an hour or so every week. And you can expect your counselor to listen to you, um, not just listen to respond, but listen to understand, to know you, to hear, uh, you know, what's going on, to know you as a person, not to view you as a problem or, uh, you know, but, but to really, to get to know you. And then beginning to, you know, walk with you through your questions, your problems, your, your your trouble, and begin to open the scripture and look at how the scripture instructs and informs that. There's going to be, um, you know, things after because as you meet with a person once a week for let's say an hour, uh, we just say that's not magic hour, right? Change isn't going to occur one hour a week on a Monday. Oh, I got it. I fixed it. Right. Right. Yeah. Change happens on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So um, there's homework each week mm. and. Uh, because, you know, one of the things that, that 
is true for all of us is we have a gap between what we know intellectually and yet what we know experientially, right? We have all this mm. theology. Oh, sure. And yeah. yet there's so much of it we haven't applied. And so part of what the homework does is is helps us to learn to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, and, and and moves that knowledge from being just intellectual knowledge to experiential and begin to apply what we learn in the in the counseling time each week, begin to apply that to our life and mm-hmm. to our questions and to our problems and to our trouble. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, typically um, sessions last about an hour. Um, one of the questions that always comes up is, well, how long do we, you know, do I meet with a counselor, right? Am I going to, we're going to be doing this for two or three years. And I go back to that discipleship river. You know, we're not, it, it's, it might be 10 or 12 weeks. It might be 16 or 20 weeks, but the goal isn't to solve every problem. The goal is really to begin to come alongside, help you to understand the problem biblically, mm. and then give you the tools to get unstuck. Yeah. And if you get stuck again, now you know, okay, here's how I got here. Here's how, yeah, here's how I get out. And um, again, that usually is 8, 10, 12, 14 sessions. Okay, cool. Um, all right, one, one uh, perhaps a little bit of a poke. Am I allowed to poke? Well, we'll see. It'll be it'll be somewhat gentle. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, sometimes, if I, depending on who I've encountered or talked with or listened to on biblical counseling, I can come away with the notion that they think you should never use anything but the Bible for anything. So uh, there are, I mean. Sometimes where I'm like, am I even allowed to Google something anymore? You know, like, well, the, the Bible gives you all things pertaining to life and godliness. Why would you look mm. anywhere else for anything? What do you say? Is that a mischaracterization? Is how do you respond to that sort of uh, tendency in yeah. a discipline that you're a part of? Yeah. I, so I think again, the the Bible is 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 our foundation for truth. Um, and so, I mean, we use the Bible in biblical counseling. We use the Bible in, you know, in homework throughout the week, but, but we use a lot of other resources. But the, when I say other resources, I should be more specific. We use, you know, other books, for example, but they're all rooted in the scripture, right? So, so they all have a common denominator that, mm. that go back to. So if I might, I might give somebody a couple of chapters out of Jerry Bridges, Trusting God, but it's rooted in the Bible. It's rooted in biblical truth. Um, it's consistent with Scripture and biblical truth. But it's it's extra biblical yeah. in in nature. So um, I might have somebody listen to a sermon or a podcast. Again, it's extra biblical, but yet it's rooted in it's rooted in Scripture. So is, I is think, there any place for stuff that's not rooted in Scripture? So for example, what do you have in mind? Hmm. Good question. Any resource that's going to be written by somebody or in a field that's not not a believer, yeah. Um, or is there a practice? Eh, maybe practice is the wrong word. Now let's just leave it at the first one. Yeah, I, I if there is, I don't I don't know of one. I mean, if if somebody's coming in with questions, problems, and trouble, I think the answers are are going to be ultimately rooted in scripture. Okay. So I. Again, I'm going to use extra biblical resources. I, I have all kinds of homework that is just by its very nature is extra biblical, but it's all 
rooted in and birthed out of a biblical worldview, a biblical understanding of man. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it all has, you know, it all's rooted back to that. Sure, because and I mean, I was I agree with the the premise that when you look at our problems, they are typically what we're talking about is is fruit from a poisoned root of yeah. sin, and so you cannot just deal with the fruit. You've got to go down to that poisoned root and say, until you address this, until we see and understand its relationship to God and you and what that looks like, that you may deal with that that particular behavior, but it'll manifest in a different way in yeah. a different context. Let me give you an example, maybe, yeah. maybe this is where you're going, is um, where we would go outside of something that has something to do with the Bible to help someone. Let's say someone is dealing with anxiety mm-hmm. and they're having an anxiety attack. And I tell them, because I might say this, um, I might give them some a breathing technique, you know, just as sure. far as taking deep breaths and breathing well. Yep. And you say, well, wait a minute, where's, where's that in Scripture? And I, yeah. I might have a little bit of a problem taking that to Scripture, but here's what I'm... here's So in, in a sense... And so what that breathing technique does is helps the person from a physical or physiological perspective. It, In its essence, it's dealing with the symptom. The, the anxiety sure. attack is the symptom of the problem. It's not the problem. It feels like it's the problem because it's all I can think about, right? But it's rooted in something. So the breathing technique in a, is going to be helpful um, short term. It's going to be helpful dealing with the symptom but I, if that's all I do, hmm. I am not serving that person as well as I should because yeah, we good. have that's to good. get to what is it that is causing my anxiety, my yep. fear, my worry. And so, um, but, it, but that goes back to the understanding that we are, um, that we're two parts, that we're inner man, that's outer man, material, immaterial. And so, um, there's a lot of good stuff that deals with the material, the physical, but again, I'm I'm more concerned with the cause of the symptom than just dealing with symptom, and right. so that's why I'm always I'm always going to go to the inner man. Yeah, no, I think that's helpful. I mean, I when I used to work in Res Life, I, I got trained on how to help people having a panic attack, mm-hmm. and one of the things, I mean, it wasn't breathing techniques, but one of the things that we were taught to do is try to help help their mind be able to focus on anything else. That's right. And so one of the things is said, like find something with, with texture mm-hmm. and just ha- ask them to like, can you count the number of ridges that are on that, like the edge of that binder and just rub your finger of it. And if your brain can just think about something else for just a minute, it helps like lower the level of everything. And then, then we can start. Right. right. And, and I think that's a helpful principle to say, like, I'm not against using that type of technique, even though it's not in First Peter. That being said, if I don't get to the depth of what is in Scripture, yep. then I just put up drywall over the electrical problems, and we're like, right. oh, no, we're good. Let's That's just right. not, let's just pretend like that issue's not there. No, yep. you've got anxiety for a reason. Yep. And yeah, we, we calmed down for the moment, but it's going to show back up. It may not even show back up in that panic attack. It might show up in a various other ways, but always always getting to the deeper root. I think that is helpful. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and I'll even go in further. I don't have to understand all of those 
techniques that help the outer man. Mm. What I really need to focus on is what is it that the Bible, what, what's at the root? And that's where I want to be an expert on. That's where I yeah. want to be, com- we'll just say competent to counsel on. Um, again, there's, there's, there's a lot of good things that help the outer man, uh, but again, it's, it's temporal. On its best day, whatever that looks like, it's just symptom control. It's just... Yeah, yeah. And again, but if I'm in the middle of a panic attack, uh, I want, I need some relief immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and so those, those techniques can be, be helpful. They're just not lasting. Great. All right. Yeah. Uh, really quickly, uh, any resources, any suggestions you have? Somebody's interested... Is there a like good f- place to begin? There's a softball for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so we do we do a lot of uh, uh, counseling and uh, training uh, here at Headwaters, and and um, every year we start a new cohort, and you know you'll hear it promoted as um, as soul care, as as discipleship training. Sometimes it gets referred to as biblical counseling training, but that would be my encouragement is uh, each time that window opens, it's usually, you know, in early August, uh, early to late August, you'll start hearing about it, is jump on board and become a part of that. And uh, you'll never regret it. And, uh, you know, some people stay with us for this, you know, it's kind of a year-long cycle. Some jump on for a few, you know, so for a few months and then get off. But um, you'll, you know, you'll never look back and go, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that because we just, we're, we're, we're just training people how to use their yeah. uh, oh, Bible. Man, I, to I wish I would be less competent in using my Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Said no one ever. Yeah. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Okay, great. Good. Last word, Scott, what do you want to say? Yeah. Uh, maybe um, again, go back to just second Timothy three and, uh, it's so, so rich in knowing that the scriptures are sufficient. Um, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. So 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, um, all scripture is inspired of God, breathed of God. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we might be complete and ready for every, every good work.